From the dawn of time we came, moving silently among you, down through the centuries. Immortals. I'm Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod, the Highlander. After the death of my friend Ramirez. And my beloved wife Heather. I left my home in the highlands of Scotland and began to wander the world searching for answers. Finally I came to Japan, to the mountains of Neri and the cave of the sorcerer Nagano. Welcome to Highlander Rewatched. Is that the show where each and every week we talk about a different facet of the Highlander universe in detail? It is. Oh, well, then I'm in the right place. I thought I walked into the wrong recording studio. I thought so, too. But no, we're here. It's the same place we are every month. Who's that over there? Who's that that sitting over there? It's me, guys. I'm Keith. Is that one of our rewatches, Keith? It is. (laughs) This is Kyle. And this is Eamon. (laughs) And we're your rewatchers. That's right. We're messing with the format this time, and it's a little weird, it is but weird. I'm loving it, like McDonald's. So uh, this week, we're finally jumping into our coverage of Highlander 3, Yeah, which is exciting. It's this been a long time coming. exciting, yeah. yeah. When was the last time you guys saw this movie? I've never seen it. Okay. Eamon's so never is, seen it. Yeah. Uh, last time I saw it was maybe a year or two ago. I remember watching Whoa, it. Whoa, you watched this movie a year or two ago? Yeah, I did, wow. yeah. Huh? I was like, it was something, I, it's it's a movie I don't revisit frequently, just because I feel like it's like, it's not considered one of the worst Highlander movies, it's kind of like a shrug, so I kind of never think to give it another try. It's like, oh, I, I remember that one, Shrug, where I used to revisit like Highlander 2 or like The Source. It's like, let me see that again. Is it really as weird as I remember it? Yes. It is. Uh, so yeah, this one kind of just would always kind of go by the wayside, because I didn't feel like I needed to revisit it, so it's definitely fun to... Check it out again. Yeah, I don't think I saw this in an age where I could appreciate that it was the sexiest movie of 1995. So, <laughs> oh, but now. You know. This also might have been the first Highlander movie I saw. I, I honestly can't remember if it was this one or the second movie was my first introduction. Like, it definitely, I didn't, definitely didn't see the first Highlander in the movie series. Hmm. I watched the, seri- the TV series first. Then I think I saw either Highlander 2 or 3 because it was at the local video store. And it's like, oh, I'll get one of these. The blockbuster. That's right. So we should give a little bit of background on this movie first. Who's in this monstrosity? Okay, so first, let, let's talk about a couple different things. Sorry, am I tipping my hand here? <laughs> tipping my monstrosity. Well, what? let's talk a little bit about the creation of this movie. Who's behind it? Who's pulling the strings? Who's making this Pulling cogs turn? The string. This movie was directed by... Andrew Morahan. This is another music video director. Mm-hmm. In the behind-the-scenes stuff, they talk about how that was a very deliberate choice because Russell Mulcahy was a music video guy, and they really wanted to go back to that. Well, first, let's let's talk a little bit about what Andrew's done, and then we can get into the deep trivia on how he got brought into this movie. Oh, I'm sorry. It's interesting. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Andrew did a lot of pretty famous music videos, including like Wham's Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, which is maybe one of his most well-known. Wake me up. 
before, before you, you go, go. go. Uh, he actually did a ton of Wham's videos, yeah. uh, including a ton of George Michael's. And also, it's a little weird. A lot of his videos are in black and white for George Michael and Wham. And I was just like, huh, interesting. Like, for them, I don't know if that was Wham's decision or George Michael's, but a lot of them are black and white, which is interesting. Whammy. But he also did, like, the music video for Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, which is George Michael, and, of course, Elton John, which is a pretty great song. I as well as Faith. George Michael was involved in that for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, most of his music videos have, like, a lot of close-ups and people turning their heads really quickly uh that was something i noticed when i watched like 20 of these videos in a row but he also did uh queen somebody to love look at that uh but this is his very first feature movie but more recently he's been directing english national operas for the bbc wow seems like a abrupt turnaround from wham but right. fair enough so his second movie was 1997's murder in mind which was filmed for theatrical release but released straight to video and it's a story about a murderer and a hypnotherapist uncovering it is the hypnotherapist actually the murderer i, th- I think it has something Did to do she with, yeah. hypnotize herself <laughs> what? Uh, his most recent film is called boogeyman from 2017 uh, and it's about an, a british indian uh, teenager struggling with his cultural heritage hmm. other movies he's done is goal three which is a straight to video soccer movie and oh, that sounds- amazing yeah i know <laughs> are you sure it's pronounced that way or is it pronounced go three also really random fact his half-sister hattie was the enchantress in the new beauty and the beast movie I'm isn't sorry, that what his half-sister hattie played the enchantress in the new beauty and the beast movie i didn't care for that it was okay it i was remember okay. i remember really liking the opening i was like oh i really like this and then just being like shrug i don't shrug, like it yeah they got that teacup in it. Chip. You're just in it for the teacup. <laughs> I'm in it for the teacup. Beauty and the Beast. So, Kyle, you mentioned that on the special features on the DVD, there's an interview where the producers talk about how they really wanted to capture that 80s music video style. And they say, we wanted to find the 90s Russell Mulcahy. I thought it was interesting that they thought that the music video character was what defined the look of the first one. Oh, I think it does. In some ways. I mean, the rapid cutting... Sure. Yeah, the rapid cutting, perhaps not maybe the actual film style, though, because that's Russell's own thing. Right. The fast cutting is the music video the style. Thing. Yeah, which I think we discussed in the first movie that the garage fight scene has like the most cuts of any movie in that span of time. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy like that. This is from Variety in 1992. Davis Panzer Productions Incorporated is seeking at least $8.3 million in compensatory damages from Helmer Russell Mulcahy for allegedly repudiating an agreement to direct Highlander 3, The Magician. According to a complaint filed in Los Angeles Superior Court, Mulcahy agreed to direct the film via an oral agreement between Peter S. Davis and Davis Panzer and Bill Brock, Mulcahy's agent. The deal allegedly included a payment of $1.2 million to be placed in escrow at least 60 days prior to commencement of principal photography. But on November 12th, Mulcahy, through his lawyer and agent, allegedly denied there was an agreement by claiming that a condition that his money be placed into escrow within 14 days had not been met. On November 24th, Mulcahy's agent and lawyer also claimed there was no agreement because Davis Panzer refused to comply with the director's demand that his non-economic benefits be comparable to those which he got on his latest film, The Real McCoys. Non-economic benefits, like meaning like his trailer and riders and perks and shit? Perhaps. I guess. Davis Panzer denies either condition was part of the agreement. So it sounds like Russell was on board at some point and things went Things went south, yeah. I wonder if he had seen the script at that point or what the deal was. Hmm. Very good question. I read that too, and I couldn't really make heads or tails of it. Get that shit in writing. You hear that, Russell? Is he listening? Yeah, I'm I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's got a direct line. He's actually listening right now as we speak. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's scary. He's in the next room. (laughs) 
I think the thinking's weird that it's like, okay, Russell Mulcahy, he was a, a music video director, so we'll just do that again, like Kyle alluded to a little bit earlier. Yeah. I, the, the thinking is a little weird to me. Like, Russell Mulcahy is clearly a gifted visual storyteller. Right. Not because he's a music video director. Right. Because That's a coincidence. He, yeah. This guy, I mean, not so much, question mark? Not well, that this is a bad-looking movie, but... It's directed completely competently. It, this just yeah. does not have, like, the visual flair that Highlander 1 has. That, like, Nosh. makes it, like, unique. Or even, to a certain extent, Highlander 2. Sure, yeah. Although there's a couple moments in Highlander 3 that I think are very... Mul- like, I actually think they're Mulcahy-esque. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this feels like Mulcahy's directing this scene. But we'll get to that as we dissect the movie. So, I should we talk about who wrote this movie? Yes. Yeah. Let's. So, this movie, the story was written by Brad Merman and Bill Panzer. Brad Merman wrote Night Moves, which stars Christopher Lambert. Uh, so, Chris actually asked Brad to come on to this project as, like, a favor. He's like, hey, do you want to work on this together? He also wrote Body of Evidence with Willem Dafoe and Madonna, which is another movie oh. that features, like, a hardcore sex scene. I was just, just saying, like all this. these movies sound like porns. Yeah. <laughs> Night Moves. Body of evidence. Gideon, uh, also starring Christopher Lambert. So, yeah. So, he also then wrote the movie Resurrection, uh, which he co-wrote with Lambert and is directed by Mulcahy. Uh, in 98, he wrote the movie, as you mentioned, Eamon Gideon, uh, which is about a simple-minded man who checks into a retirement home where he finds the residents have lost their lust for life. Hmm. Through his innocence, he changes their lives and teaches them that every day is a precious gift. I assume that one also is a hardcore sex scene. In Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he also wrote the movie called The Piano Player in 2002. Guess who that stars? Christopher Lambert. Lambert. And then in 2003, he wrote a movie called Absalon. Guess who that one stars? Who? Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh. And Christopher Lambert. <laughs> what? Oh, okay. That was a good fake out. Yeah. So Brad Merman and Lambert, they're butt buddies. They are. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. They're doing all sorts of movie fun together that's true and so then so he wrote the story paul ole wrote the screenplay and highlander 3 was his very first screenplay after that he did a movie called north star in 1998 which starred christopher lambert (laughs) it's close (laughs) and he's a french writer and he's mostly done french things uh and actually but i say mostly done seems like three other french movies we we uh and then uncredited on this project is renee manzor i don't know if anyone recognizes that name I think I do. It's because, Eamon? He wrote the or directed the episode Brand of Brothers That's from right. Highlander. Oh, that's a very good one. It is. Season one. So that's in weird. some way, he had something to do with the story. So before we jump into the stars of this picture, I thought we'd get ourselves in kind of an early 90s state of mind. Uh, so I brought a beverage for us to enjoy. Uh-oh. If this is Crystal Pepsi, I'm going to shit. I have Holy a, oh, shit. No. I have a beautiful bottle of Crystal Pepsi here. Ice cold. So, where do you guys you remember? Get, where did you get this? This was he had it in his storeroom from eBay. This is from 1993. It's for. It, this is actually a bottle. From Wait, seriously? No, no, uh. no. This is part of the uh, the more recent re-release. I've been saving this for a special occasion. Oh, okay. I should have brought out wine glasses, honestly. But I think we need brandy snifters for this one. Does anyone remember the other ill-fated Pepsi releases, like Pepsi Blue? I remember Pepsi Kona. Pepsi Kona? How about that? What was Pepsi Kona? That was coffee-flavored Pepsi. Oh, that sounds gross. Doesn't it? So, guys, let's uh, raise our glasses of Crystal Pepsi and toast to the early 90s and to to magic magic and to not Sice this time, To magic to Nakano? I don't know. To Neary? Mount Neary. To Neary. Cheers for five years. It tastes 
like Pepsi. It tastes like Pepsi, right? Only without dye. It's fine. It's fine. It's actually pretty good. It tastes great. Or yeah. are, are we sure it's not supposed to be pronounced Crystal Pepsi? Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> so go find this Crystal Pepsi. You won't I don't think you can find it much anymore, but it's already off the shelves again? Uh, it's hard to find, yeah. Well then fuck you. We're drinking this and you just have to hear live vicariously through us. But if you see it, check it out. It's good. I like it. Have yeah, a good, good day. <laughs> That's right. Shout out to LA Beast. Okay, so let's jump into the cast of this movie. So let's talk about Mr. Christopher Lambert. What's he been up to recently? He's got a couple projects coming up. Uh, we got La Voce del Lupo, uh, which the IMDb description reads, a series of mutilated corpses. Of- <laughs> oh, this, oh this, is a, this is a good description. This is literally what it says. A series of mutilated corpses is upsetting a town in central Italy. It's upsetting them? Yeah. <laughs> They're just Here we go. very upset. Police believe that this is a wolf, but it might not be a wolf as others. Uh, as others? <laughs> that's what it says. Might it, not be a wolf as others. It might not be a wolf as others. Uh, it then feels he, like there's missing words. As others have noticed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but just ends there. Uh, his movie coming out called The Last Party. Uh, and he's also going to be in the next Kickboxer movie if you're into that, you know, <laughs> saga. Kickboxer retaliation. Wow. And finally, he's in a movie called Bel Canto, which stars Julianne Moore. So... Maybe that one's good, because no. Julianne Moore's Moore. good. Yeah, right? she's quite good. More, more, more. <laughs> when are they going to make a Mortal Kombat reboot starring Christopher Rambert as every character? <laughs> <laughs> I like that they still credit him as Connor McLeod slash Russell Nash. It's like, no still shit. Russell Nash in this. Slash yeah. the Highlander, because they call him the Highlander a million times. He might as well not have another name. The Who-Lander? Yeah. Uh, so the, the villain Lander. in this movie is, of course, played by Mario Van Peebles as Kane. And he's the son of famed uh, director Melvin Van Peebles. So people may have seen him in things like Jaws the Revenge, Sunny Spoon, L.A. Law. Uh, but he's also directed a lot of stuff. Like it's pronounced La Land. Yeah, exactly. That, uh, that movie that didn't win the Golden Globe. Uh, yeah. He directed New Jack City with Wesley Snipes. And Ooh. more recently, he's been on episodes of Lost well, that's not too recently, I guess, anymore. Yeah, but it's very not recently. Uh, Nashville, Empire. Those are recent. Yes, um, those are. As well as Law and Order. But he has a huge career, and he's kind of quite, like his father, like a renaissance man. He writes, he directs, he acts, does mm-hmm. all this stuff. So. He was in a movie with Christopher Lambert called Gunman. Gunman, the and year was, before. And I'm pretty sure Christopher Lambert put this movie in front of him to get him the part. I don't know if we'll discuss this later, but like, it's strange the way this movie gets like put together. And I don't know if that's just a, a byproduct of it being kind of a low-budget movie, but like it's rather incestuous. It's it seems like Christopher Lambert's friend Merman like it's like hey can you write this hey like Mario can you star in this like everybody's like these people all seem to work together and it's like are these all just favors being done but also like Highlander 2 seem to work that way as well it's like oh like we're gonna make a sequel I'm only doing it if my friend Sean Connery's in it I'm not making it otherwise so like things are maybe just shoehorned in because people have friends and they want them to work on it I don't know it seems strange that all these things are so interconnected yeah I don't know Like, all revolving around Lambert. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of Hollywood does work that way. Sure. Then it's like a favor-based system, and it's all based on personal connections, which is why people like Weinstein are so fucking dangerous, because... Sure. You know. And obviously, people have good working relationships, and they like to work with each other. But it is, I think, very telling that, like, it seems like these people only work with each other. The merman. The merman. (laughs) He only comes up from... He only comes from below the the lake to uh, work with Lambert. So this uh, movie, The Love Interest, is played by Deborah Unger as Alex Johnson slash Sarah. Um, and she's, was, she plays two characters. We're going to have a lot to say about that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, she was in uh, David Fincher's 1997 movie, The Game. She was in Payback with Mel Gibson. Oh, I thought she was just the pickup artist, The Game. This explains uh. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
So do you remember the movie Payback? I feel like I always get that movie confused in my head with Ransom, which is like a Ron Howard Ransom is, give me back my son. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Payback is a good movie. I mean, I know Mel Gibson is a naughty boy. Is that the one where he gets like his toes smashed with like a hammer? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. And there's two cuts of it, one with Chris Christopherson and one without. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're both good. Wait, why did he get cut? Like the, for, the original was he replaced with the something, original or? cut. There's no Chris Christopherson, and then oh, in they theaters added they added him. Oh, yeah, they need to punch it up. With yeah, Chris we need some Christopherson in this. Uh, she was also in the movie The Hurricane, which actually has a few Highlander connections because Clancy Brown is in that movie. Uh, and Dan Gordon wrote the screenplay, and he also wrote the screenplay for The Gathering Ooh. and for Innocent Man, as well as Surf Ninjas. Uh, <laughs> yes, which I know we've talked about this before, but if you've not heard the behind the scenes, how did this get made where they interview him? Ooh. It might be some of the most compelling and insane listening I have ever heard about anything. Wow. And he is technically a Highlander guy. Yeah, that's right. Specifically related to surf ninjas? Kind of. Mm-hmm. Wow. He also tells a story about like kidnapping a doctor and getting him high on coke and then going to fight in like the Seven Days War or some shit. So they like tie him to a bed, right? Yeah. Oh, it's not. It's really not so. Yeah. Oh. Holy yeah, no, there are multiple felonies committed in this story. It's a real treat. <laughs> I saw Surf Ninjas in the movie theater. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Deborah Unger more recently has been in the Silent Hill movies and has done voice work for the Knights of the Old Republic video games. Yes, How about that? I saw that. <laughs> She's also in David Cronenberg's Crash, which is not to be confused with the Oscar winning Crash. The Paul Crash uh, is fucked up. Another, Did you ever fe- see featuring it? another like weird sex scene thing yeah. with her. I watched that movie on the Sundance channel when I was too young to see it. The Sundance channel would have movies with nudity in it. And when I was a so kid, you were like, hubba, hubba. I would flick to that. But Crash is like about people that get into car crashes with each other and then like get turned on by like weird mutilated bodies and stuff. It is freaky. So check that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This movie also guest stars Mako as Nakano. And sadly, he passed in 2006 at the age of 72. Uh, but he was nominated for an Oscar in 1967 for Best Supporting Actor in the movie The Sand Pebbles. Uh, he has like a huge career. He probably has a bigger career than anybody else in this movie. Yeah, he was uh, the voice of Aku in Samurai Jack. Right. Uh, he did, like, Mikhail's Navy, tons of TV guest star roles, like, in practically everything. But he kind of plays a similar part in the Conan movies. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I saw Eamon. Did the you see that he did... of the women. Eamon, did you see uh, Mako did one episode of Frasier? Oh, I did. favorite show, Frasier? Yeah. <laughs> Frazier. <laughs> Frazier St. Cloud. But Eamon, like you said, and Columbo, my other favorite show. Oh, yeah. yeah, one more, one, one more, more thing, one more question, just one oh, more question. And he's the uncle on this, Avatar: uh, power Last of illusion. Airbender. Yeah, this power of illusion. <laughs> <laughs> so he did a ton of voice work, Eamon, as you mentioned, Samurai Jack, which is very good, and he also voiced Splinter in the I don't know, maybe it's ten years old now, that TMNT movie. That the, is like ten years old now, yeah. which is nuts. I remember yeah, actually kind of liking that movie. Famed child molester Kevin clashes Splinter. That's right. Oh yeah. Elmo. Famed child molester. <laughs> Enter at your own peril. Past the vaulted doorway. He was the Dexter's Lab announcer guy, too. Baker's performance in this. We'll talk about later. <laughs> Absolutely. And so finally, the other person who contributed a lot to this movie, I would say, is the composer, who was J. Peter Robinson. Uh, so the first movie was scored by Michael Kamen. Uh, the second movie was scored by Stuart Copeland of The Police. And yes, this is done by J. Peter Robinson. Uh, he's done other movies like 1989's The Wizard with Fred Savage. Um, he also did some nice, Wonder Years. Nice, nice, episodes. nice. Uh, he the did, video game ad that was The Wizard. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Wayne's World. Encino Man. Ooh. 
Vampire in Brooklyn. Uh, he did the music for the Spawn cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also did all the music for the series Charmed. Milano. Cool. Ooh. Milano. He also did the music to Deadliest Catch. How about that? <laughs> the show where they go on boats and yeah. catch crabs. Catch right. fish? Wow. So there he's, we go. He's actually had a pretty big career. Those are That's a lot of movies. It's a Sure. It's a lot of movies. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, he's working. He's Yeah. No, he's done work. Yeah. We all remember the starring the theme. Vein. Starring theme from Encino Man. <laughs> yeah. Encino Man. I don't you know. know. It's, a, it's a movie people know, though. Sure. It's more Buddy. famous than Highlander 3. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually one of the cut names with Highlander 3 Encino Man. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. So we should that talk about sense. the name of this movie first. So this movie was released, this is a weird thing, in mm-hmm. 1994. In the Philippines. So the Philippines gets the first release of this movie. How strange, how strange is that? It was not released until 1995 in January in the U.S. And mm-hmm. prior to that, it was released in the U.K. And so there are a couple different cuts of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, maybe we should talk about the name first. And then we should talk about the differences in the cuts and why they exist. So the original title of the movie is Highlander 3, The Sorcerer. Or at least that's how it was how released. Did you say that word? Source, sorcerer, sorcerer, Highlander, the source, sorcerer, 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 sorcerer. You keep saying sauce like sorcerer. It's hard to say. Philly sauce. accent, guys. So- you keep sauce. saying sorcerer. Sorcerer. I was a saucier. <laughs> <laughs> Down in Santa. Yeah. Uh, that was the European title for the most part. The sorcerer. Uh, the sorcerer. <laughs> and then in that other article, in that variety article we have, it says the magician. The magician. The magician. In the U.S. version, it's called the Final Dimension, which makes no sense, right? And so this is also interesting. So I have a list here of many of the titles this movie went by because it didn't Ooh. just go by those two. Uh, so for instance, in Argentina, this was referred to as Highlander Three El Mago, which means the magician. In Bulgaria, in a alphabet I cannot read, it was known as Scottish Fighter. The magician. Scottish fighter. <laughs> I wish these were called that. <laughs> I do too. I watch Scottish fighter. In Brazil, this movie was called uh, Highlander 3 O Fatikaro, which means the wizard. Hmm. Fair enough. Uh, Germany, Highlander 3 D Legend, which means the legend. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. deep uh, cut. In Spain, Los Amotos Tres El Hachachero, which is. I'm, I'm sorry for everyone who speaks these languages. I'm, I'm butchering these names. Uh, but that is the Immortals colon the wizard. Hmm. In I, Finland. I'm for that to be like the hatchet man or yeah. something like that. Uh, in Finland, this one took a little while to figure out. Highlander 3, Salistaja, which direct translation is Highlander 3, the mouser. <laughs> but it seems like mouser is, it means like the predator. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. The mouse. The mouser. Uh, yeah. Other fun ones are in Japan. It was Highlander 3. Sorry for this pronunciation. Uh, Chaoshenshi Daikensen, which is something kind of like challenge decisive battle. <laughs> challenge decisive. Mm. This probably, probably means like the us. final battle. Right. That's probably what that means. Yeah. Um, and I actually consulted with a friend of the show, Jill S., who helped us with that translation. And it does kind of mean like decisive battle, <laughs> which is funny. In Portugal, this was known as Duelo Immortal Trace, uh, which is a mortal duel. In Europe, it was also known as Highlander 3, The Final Conflict. What? Which makes more sense than the final dimension. Absolutely. So, yeah, those yeah. are some of the other titles this film had gone by. Huh. And it's not too... Uh, dimension? What? what was it like going to a final dimension? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I don't, I don't, I've never really thought about it. <laughs> so before we hop into this movie, we should talk about the versions of this movie and how they're different and which versions we watch. So first mm-hmm. off, there's two cuts. There's a European cut, there was an American cut, and then there's just like what's released as like the director's cut, I guess, mm. which seems to be a little bit of both, It would, I think. So yeah. the European version has some major differences, uh, which we'll call out as we, we see it, but like the special effects weren't finished at, in time. Which is yeah interesting. So, interesting. for instance, Kane arrives in New York at some point, and in the version that's on like the DVD now is just him kind of maybe walking off a boat or something. He's like arrives at yeah, docks, like maybe, in a shipyard. Question mark. In the U.S. version, because they were able to finish the special effects, he like fucking teleports, teleports in, in, and it's yeah. like whoa, whoa, what? he's got he goes through like a wormhole. Uh, so very different. Some of the special effects look a little cleaner in the U.S. version. Um, so we watched two different versions. I watched. It on the DVD, which is what's most readily available to most listeners of the podcast. Uh, and that includes, it seems like it's mostly the European cut, I think. Does it have the portal? Although it does have, like, rock music at the end. So the credit mm-hmm. music is different in both cuts. And I believe the American version is the one that has the heavy metal rock music. I'll have to double-check my notes as we get to it. But one version is Bonnie Portmore playing over the credits. And one has this, like, insane song called God Took a Picture of Me. Yes. We'll get to that. Oh, man. Was it a Polaroid picture? Yeah. Did you have to shake it like a Polaroid picture? <laughs> he did. And then the other version we all watched was our friend from Japan, Jill S., sent us Blu-rays of a recently released Highlander 3. And so we watched that. And I thought something very funny on that. The Blu-ray menu says Highlander the Sorcerer, I mm. believe, on the menu. But when the movie starts, the movie title come up, comes up uh, and says Highlander uh, the, the Final, Final Dimension, Dimension yeah. which is good. Okay. The transfer is not great yeah necessarily it's not the, it's not like the new highlander 4k release which does look considerably better not amazing but better this kind of just looks like a rescan dvd like an up converted dvd or something like that yeah. but the neatest thing was it had special features on it and we will talk about that probably maybe towards the end or interspersed in our discussion absolutely uh we should also mention that uh we've read the script the original first draft of this script so every once in a while we're going to be commenting or maybe at the end we will maybe talk about some of the differences from the very first draft to what ended up on the screen and so that'll be interesting too so to paint a quick picture of the climate this movie was released in this movie came out on the 27th of january in 1995 not a big week for movies other movies that were released that weekend uh the movie before sunrise oh is that the link later movie maybe yeah, I think so. Uh, and also Miami Rhapsody came out that weekend. don't know either of these. I, I don't really know either. Before uh, Sunrise is like the Ethan Hawke Linklater series of movies interesting. that are supposed to be good. I haven't heard of Miami Rhapsody. Um, a couple weeks before the Tales from the Crypt movie got released. Oh, Ooh. good. That classic. A few weeks nice. afterwards, like February 10th, Billy Madison came out. Oh, yeah. The Brady Bunch movie. Ugh. The month after that, Tank Girl. Oh, wow. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> Tank Girl. This is not, it's not a good period. <laughs> this no. is not a strong. So maybe at the months. end we should talk about how much this movie earned and okay. what other movies earned. What were the big movies of that year? And we'll talk about that at the end when we break Ooh, this all down. I'm very curious whether this earned more or less money than Tank Girl. <laughs> good question. We'll have answers for that at the end of the podcast. So you got to stick around. Stick around. See, this is, these are the hooks. This is the kind of clickbait shit that people stay for. All right, guys. It's time to talk about the IMDb episode description. And maybe we've got a couple descriptions we should read. Mm. The first from IMDb is deceived that he had won the prize. Connor McLeod awakens from a peaceful life when an entombed immortal magician comes seeking the Highlander. Bum, bum, bum. That's so, pretty succinct. Pretty succinct, right? Uh, then there was another IMDb description, which I thought was delightful because it reads like a children's story. Oh. 
The third Highlander movie takes place at 1994, which means it's a prequel of the second film. <laughs> After the death of his beloved wife Heather some centuries ago, Connor McLeod left the Highlands of Scotland and wandered around the world. Finally, he got to Japan, where he met the famous sorcerer Nakano, who was an immortal too. Soon they became friends, and Nakano <laughs> taught Connor some tricks. But one some tricks. <laughs> this really is like a kid story. But one day, an old like and kid story. Soon they became friends. He taught him some tricks. Like this is like well, so well, simplistically that written. That's, that part's. But so one day, an old enemy Kane came to Japan, willing to find Nakano's cave and kill him. Although he succeeded after cutting Nakano's head, uh, the mountain collapsed and Kane was trapped. Now, centuries after, an excavation reveals Nakano's cave. Dot dot dot. Oh. So it just reveals the cave at the end, and that's... That's it? That's, that's it. it. Okay. Nothing Nothing about anybody else? No. <laughs> or anything no. else that happens? And then finally, I will read the description on the DVD box. Uh, and Kyle, you've mentioned that this is, I think, the sexiest movie of 1995. This That was something that I remember distinctly being written on the VHS box. Yes. And I is that true? I, I, maybe. I don't know. That it's the sexiest movie in 1995? It certainly has I mean, a lot of... It yeah. is... Very graphic, and we will talk about that. Uh, So, Highlander, the final dimension, and says, Chosen centuries ago to protect all that is good. Now an evil enemy has journeyed through time to destroy him. That's on the front. And the description on the back. The third impressive chapter in the Highlander (laughs) legacy. The third impressive chapter. Slow your roll, DVD. (laughs) This thrilling action-adventure, Highlander, the final dimension, finds the immortal Connor McCloud... Christopher Lambert from Highlanders 1, 2, and Mortal Kombat, destined for a decisive battle with his ruthless eternal enemy, Kane. Mario Van Peebles. His eternal enemy. All right, I've got so many thoughts. Go on. From Gunman, Posse, and New Jack City. Pursued across time by his arch rival, McCloud must make a heroic last stand if he is to rid the earth of the seemingly unstoppable Kane. Also starring Sex Debris Unger from The Hurricane and Payback. This special director's cut is packed with intense action and astonishing special effects that deliver explosive entertainment. Did it describe her as sexy Deborah Unger? Sexy Deborah Unger. Wow. As opposed to homely Deborah Unger. <laughs> Why do they call her homely Deborah Unger? Just her different personalities or different action figure sets, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, this is sexy Deborah Unger or this is, you know. Homely This Deborah is Unger. wants to be taken seriously, so she dresses very professionally Deborah Unger. Yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. Well, Sexism. we've gotten a lot out of the way so far, and I think it's finally time we can hop into this movie. Thank God, says everyone at home. All right, so let's talk about the opening. We get that sweet Miramax logo. Oh, yeah. Miramax? Nothing gets me going like Miramask, yeah. which is also <laughs> yeah. the Neil Gaiman movie. <laughs> <laughs> Although I guess that does mean, that is kind of slightly interesting that the production company or distribution companies changed yeah it's very slightly interesting yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it is the most slightly it's hashtag mildly interesting exactly very good all right so how like, do we open we get that quintessential red text i know the red text, the red text is back of all the things of all the things the, like nondescript well, actually, red font this kind of blurry yeah <laughs> yeah this actually made a big impact on me just because it made it so painfully clear what was about to happen mm-hmm. which is hey can we remake a less charming version of the first movie yeah down to the meticulous detail of the dumb title cards which were like a placeholder in the original and they're like well let's just do that again and make them still kind of look crummy like yeah they don't look that hot but they're there they're They're there there. but it was just odd because it was like why did you salvage this visual cue and then we have christopher lambert in front of a weird ornate wooden well we also get the title which is like on fire i thought that was kind of cool it's okay 
Another new font, though, for the series. Because mm-hmm. I always think that's... Font rewatched. I always think that's interesting. Also, on the, one of the Blu-ray features, they played an ad, and the title comes up, and it's in the series font. Did anyone notice that? Oh. I was like, oh, look at that. Like, there were early ads that had the TV series font. They can never seem to really decide on what their branding is, Ryan. Yeah. Why don't they just do it in Helvetica? There we go. Which is a nice little Helvetica. Oh, I guess call it good. we should also say this movie came out, was it during season two and three of the TV show? Season three. Season three. It was in 1995. So. Yeah. As the show is hitting some of its heights. This is also This happening. is also Although this, show, this movie was in like production for almost two years beforehand. True. So it's like been developed. But yeah, I do think it's interesting. I have some notes on that later, too, mm. about like how does the show impact this? And it's interesting some of the choices they make. But yes, Eamon, you mentioned we get this narration. And this is stylistically different. Yeah. So it like, doesn't come back. No, that was the thing that was so jarring about it. So he's giving kind of a version of the Sean Connery voiceover from right. the first one. No one's ever known we were among you. And this is the clip at the top of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And Bear's like, <laughs> from the dawn of time we came. <laughs> yeah. And But it, like, it almost looks like he's in a confessional. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what this, the scene hmm. looks like. That's what I thought. And I assumed he was in, like, a big room. With wood panels and a table or something. Well, he clearly is. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Interesting, though, the confessional thing. That was kind of what I thought, just yeah. from the look of it. Right. And also, it's very jarring because you don't actually see him for very long. Mm-hmm. The voiceover starts before he appears. Right. And then it cuts to him, and then it cuts away. And, and it's intense. Like, like, he's looking. He's talking to the audience. Like yeah. this, right. is, this is breaking the fourth wall, in a sense, or something. Like This is also never picked up again. No. In the rest of the At movie. all. Well, yeah. I guess there is a voiceover at the end, but that's right. it. Right. Yeah, but he's not talking to you. No, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so yeah, he sets the stage that this movie is going to be, or he sets the stage for what this initial scene is going to be. That this yeah. is after his wife died, Heather, mm-hmm. and he's, he's leaving home and he's going to wander the world. And he eventually comes to this mountain, Neri. Yeah, which he's, is not a real mountain. I checked. Mm. He's walking the earth like Kane from Kung Fu. Right. I also tried Ooh, to see Kane how long is it would the take. Bad guy in this movie. Oh, that's right. That is right. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so he is walking the earth, and he goes to the cave of the sorcerer Nakano. Which what? I was immediately like, Who excuse me, sorcerer. Yeah. The sorcerer Nakano. Sorcerer. How did you hear about this guy? Why did you go there? What was the point of this? Oh, good point. I never thought about like. like does he find this by accident? Yeah, like, how does he end up with this guy? And how does... This guy. Th- this guy. This guy. And then we just end up in a position where he thinks it's normal to utter the phrase, to the cave of the sorcerer Nakano. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you're asking me to swallow a lot from jump. The way Lambert says Nakano is good. Nakano. The way everybody in this movie says Nakano, and I'm like... I was never sure how if it was Nakano or Nagano. Japanese person say this? I don't know. I don't know either. So we get this kind of sword-making montage in the beginning... Yeah. I actually think this is a cool way to open the movie. Like, this sword-making thing, I like. The sword-making thing... As a thematic thing in the movie. I'm going to say is one of my favorite things in the whole movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. The emphasis on that. Yeah. So yeah. we get some silhouettes of Nakano kind of hammering out. He's at, like, a forge or something. Right. And he's, and he's making, like, some kind of steel ingot and thing. in one version of the script, I believe this mountain... It was not, like, an icy mountain, but mm. his cave was in the side of a volcano. Mm-hmm. And the forge was the like the lava from the volcano. That's and I actually, cool. I think that's really cool because that yeah, adds like awesome. a kind of more special. Like it's like, hey, like you can't just make these swords anywhere. It's like forged in lava, which yeah. is neat. Yeah, which also then would add some weird credence to like the weird throwaway lines in the first movie about how his sword is like it's like if a Cadillac appeared in like the 1600s or something. Yeah. Outside. Although the sword in the first movie is not made by this person, right? Although it's like kind Are you of sure. Yeah, who made the sword in the first? 
first one. I thought I, was, I thought they said it's Masamune. Oh right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who, says, who says that? Ramirez. Ramirez. Yeah. And he falls in love with his daughter. Right. Oh, that he that guy made it, or it was his sword. He made it. I think he made it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Because he's also a sword maker, like in legend. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. So I, I, it's very strange that that's a little confused as well because yeah. at some point we find out Ramirez knows this guy and like visited with him and it's like oh but he didn't get the sword from him or I don't know yeah. strange that um, is weird wait because Connor's meant to have Ramirez's sword right? right oh yeah which is not made by this guy maybe so what's the sword what, what sword does he have in three his normal sword he has his normal sword and then eventually his own yeah then he makes his own sword but I don't believe it's made by this guy so it's what not- sword was Nakano making. Just a sword. Just a sword. Just a, just just a, a sword. sword. Oh, okay. yeah, just <laughs> on the shelf because he's a sword maker. I guess. That got me all sorts of confused. Yeah, right? No, we got there. We so Lambert's here, like through this. creeping around. He's like peering around. At we just Nakano like very this. stoically watching Nakano make the sword. But he almost looks like sad. He has like a sad expression on his face. Yeah. So then we get some more kind of narration. Well, it's not really narration. It's, I guess, Nakano's explaining more stuff. So Nakano says, Great danger lies ahead, Highlander. From a faraway land comes another, the most feared and evil among us. He keeps growing. The Kurgan. Exactly. <laughs> this is all dialogue about the Kurgan, essentially. So and if he wins, the world will suffer eternal damnation. So his name is Cain. Some say he's the devil himself. Right. And so we get some intercutting of, like, Cain and his goons Galloping. riding. I guess there's supposed to be, like, a Mongolian thing going on here. Or That's like, why I assumed like he was. Genghis Khan, kind of. Yeah. So I believe one of it, his it goons it. is named Khan in the script uh. or on IMDb or something, even though they didn't ever hear say his name. So yeah, there's I'm some relation. If he's supposed to be, like, a like Hun or something like that, that he's a it's really he's Mario Van Peebles. But, hey, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, again, this is just like Highlander 1. Mm-hmm. The opening narration is the same. The setup with the Kurgan is the same. But I'm just like, oh, so what was the Kurgan? Right. Like He's chopped liver, actually. He's yeah. This guy's worse liver. than the Kurgan, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, why didn't Ramirez feel that he needed to mention Kane at all? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. What? I mean, we know the reason, but it's just like kind of like... Well, that's because this movie is kind of like, you know, jammed in there. Like it's yeah. like wedged to fit in the story. Because it does, like if you think about it for a few seconds, it doesn't really make sense. Like that. It's like, yeah. oh, well, what about that? Like, it's like it's we have to make a movie. So I guess this is what we're doing. Yeah, but the villain in it doesn't have to be the most evil among you. Right. Right. You could just be another guy. It's well, like, I oh, here's another just guy. Just be like, guy. he's very evil. Yeah. Well, Done. I think <laughs> what, he, what he said about the Kurgan... What Ramirez said about the Kurgan, I believe, is he's the strongest of us all. Oh, but does is... he say the most evil? Oh, okay. <laughs> this guy's the most evil. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe Cain uh, yeah. is not the strongest, but he is the, the most, most evil. evil. Yeah. yeah. It's important. Well, he does have that forked beard. That's pretty evil. Yeah. He has much more evil piercings. Yes. That's true. So, we cut to a Japanese village. Uh, and this looks, you know, okay. It's a, They clearly spent some money and built, like, a whole set. Eamon's giving him a face like, meh, maybe not so yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, but Cain shows up, and he speaks to a villager and he asks uh, in japanese where is the well, first he and asks in english then he asks in japanese right. uh, I, I don't understand what the point of them switching the languages is or would be yeah i don't know why i just don't know like what language did he why sp- does he speak in english first yeah that's what like. <laughs> like what did he think that guy Dude, spoke english? where do you think you are <laughs> well like in these kind of movies i am always willing to just accept that everyone speaks the same language. Yeah. That's just yeah. an ease of, you know, the audience understanding what's going on. Right. Yeah. But then once you call it out, I'm wondering about it the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I was like, well, yeah, what, what do you, what? Sorcerer Nakano. 
How do you speak English? So yeah, yeah. he says he like, is. How do all these people speak English now? Also, two quick notes about that last conversation. One, during the whole thing, Nakano is playing his sword with like a mallet, <laughs> like it's a little musical instrument. Yeah. Oh right, he's he's testing the um, the st- what's it called, like the, the the evenness of the vibrations. Yeah, which was like kind of fun. And then my second note is just about like when the map thing is up there and he's talking about Nakano. I was like, is this a D and D campaign? That's what this sounds like. Yeah. Go on. Okay, so this I think is maybe interesting later. So Kane asks, "Where's the mountain?" He never asks where Nakano is. Correct, mm-hmm. because the guy, the the villagers, like, "Are you seeking Nakano?" And he's like, "Tell me where the mountain is." So maybe that's kind of interesting because I think let's talk about that in a little bit. Like, why is Kane going to this mountain? So the villager won't tell Kane anything. So then Kane is like, "Burn it down!" And then we get this crazy scene where they like burn the village. There's a lot of close-ups, which to me tells me that there wasn't a lot of time to shoot. Yeah, especially because. Kane and his goons are on horseback. And yes. first off, I do want to call out, their costumes are amazing. They are. Yeah. Kane looks incredible. He like, does. He's got a look to him, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, they are on horseback. So then when they go to film it, they don't ever really film the people on horseback and the people they're attacking kind of at the same time. Like, it's yeah. always like a close-up, and it's pointed up shot, right. shot of so the guys on horses. you don't have that background problem. <laughs> and then, you know, other yeah. ground-level shots for the other people. I didn't think this was an exciting sequence it wasn't exciting it was just like it just looked like a series of things happening also someone gets brutally fucking stabbed in the eye in the eye and it's just gushing blood from their face on the special features there was a scene that they wasn't in this scene where like kane is biting like either the nose or the tongue i think he bites the guy's tongue out the villager that that won't tell him wouldn't tell him Mm -hmm. what it's just like how did i miss that yeah it's just like awesome it's like i kind of like that it's just like a split second thing but he's off his horse i was like where was that yeah i would have liked to see that why would you like why did he do that that's so weird yeah oh is he making out with this guy and then bites his tongue off probably yeah that's another difference between the U.S. cut and the European cut that we American should call it. People's makes out with a bunch of dudes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the sex is removed in the European cut, the extended sex scene that we get treated to later. Black. And also, I believe the, the beheadings specifically, like where you actually see the head come off the body, is hmm. removed. And it's because in Europe, or at least in England, they wanted this to have a PG. They don't have a PG-13. I think it's like a 15 rating. Hmm. Uh, and it, they wanted to hit that instead of like a hard R. Uh. So the violence is toned down in the European release so that's another difference that's in these two cuts interesting so yeah so he bites his tongue off i wish that was in the movie because that's again like something that's crazy and yeah. like at least different and wild like <laughs> yeah and not just supposed to this, this kind of boring burning scene yeah one time like the guy's torch isn't on fire <laughs> like he's galloping around <laughs> and there's like no fire in the torch and i'm like what are you burning down so is yeah. this scene there to t- i mean like in the original movie we are not told the like the kurgan doesn't necessarily do evil things like he looks kind of evil and threatening he kills i guess what we know to be the hero of the movie so we think he's bad but like we're mostly just told the the kurgan is a bad guy and as the audience we're like i get it yeah did they think that wasn't enough in this movie so they're like we need to show him well, be you, bad well they show him kill the hero before you find out who he is or what his deal is right like you know nothing about him he's just a mysterious badass looking guy who stabs the shit out right of but definitely and... like the the look of being evil like yeah it was enough that's like darth vader it's like i yeah. don't know what his deal is but he looks scary so yeah. he's the bad guy you know right that's all you need yeah but yeah I, I, the scene just doesn't do much either it's doesn't yeah i don't know there's no emotional impact. It's just like, okay, they ride around, stab people. Also, it's during the day. It's during the day. There's a lot of day stuff in this movie. And we were told already how evil he is. It's yeah. not like... It's not like they did like the a most show... Evil. Yeah, it's not like they did like a show-don't-tell thing. They yeah. told us 
Then they showed us. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. So then they don't find out what they need to know, and they burn this village down, and, and then, then just they just gallop, gallop away. Right. So then we cut back to the cave, and Mac is asking how to kill Kane, and Nakano says, with heart, soul, and steel. So... This is a callback to the first movie. Is it with faith and steel? That's yeah. that's the thing that's yep. kind of weird. Like I don't I I think it's cool that there's a callback, but it's mm-hmm. wrong. I don't know if it's wrong intentionally or like what the deal is. Yeah, so Ramirez said with heart, faith and steel. And this one it's heart, soul and steel. I don't know. That is very strange. But then we find out that Nakano knew Ramirez uh and he says like him, my gift to you is my knowledge right so he's like i've lived many lifetimes um and then we we also see a shot of the like the steel block that he's i guess he's been making these steel blocks that he's going to forge into swords maybe it's magical metal who knows what the deal is but it's got his like emblem on it and that will become important later Mm. and then we get 30 seconds of mcleod washing his arms Yeah, there's this yeah, waterfall weird. shot. This is all like vaguely like. Is this offensive? I, I like. I don't even know. Like when he's making the sword, there's like very stereotypical oh, like Japanese style this, music like, this playing. Flute music playing. That's and yeah. like the vaguely Asian hand motions under the water and stuff. And I'm like, did they like consult anything, or is this all just like this seems like a mystical Japanese thing? Let's just throw it in there. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. It was very strange, though. So Mac and Nakano are then training with, like, sticks. Nakaro knocks Mac's sword out of his hands, and when he looks down, the sword turns into a snake. Yeah. So he's scared, and so Nakano's like, oh, it's not, everything's not what it seems or whatever, hands it back to him. Then they fight a little more, and this time Mac knocks Nakano's sword out of his hand. You have already lost. Right, and so then, then we get introduced to this special move. Which is like the you, you already skipped over. You need to respect the power of illusion, right. which is a line to which Mac asks no follow up <laughs> questions. <laughs> Mac just saw a sword turn into a snake and then was told about a power of illusion, and he has no questions. He's like, okay, oh, okay. and it's just oh, yeah, you have to right. respect it. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll respect it by not asking any questions <laughs> about it. I will respect it by preserving my ignorance about this fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Then we learn the special move. So Mac lunges. And Nakano does this move, which the special move can be described as grabbing the sword away from the other person. <laughs> like, he just takes it away. He just and, takes and, it and a camera and filter. Spins. And a camera <laughs> Crazy, like, triple threat camera Can move. move. Yeah. And it's, like, all these weird, like, yeah, colors. The saturation the goes all crazy. special move is actually the cinematographer's special move. Yeah. <laughs> it's like some chroma filter thing yeah. happens. Use the power of editing to page your opponent. So now Nakano has Mac, and he's like, aha! So he says, fight with your spirit, and your sword will follow. This is, like, gobbledygook. This is, like, you know what I mean? Like, what does that mean? I don't know. Like, w- what lessons are we learning here? I'm not sure. So then he hands this stick to Mac, which is the one he's been holding the whole time, and it turns into a katana. So what? let's break this. Like, what, what, is, what, was, what was anything? Was You're, it always the katana? Oh, I, I know what's happening here. What? I know what the confusion is here. Oh, really? Okay. Good. You're not respecting the power of illusion. <laughs> that is all, that's my problem this whole movie. You're going to yeah. have to keep reminding me of that lesson. See, what? I respect the power of illusion, <laughs> and that's how I watch this movie. Yeah. So I'm giving it five stars. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a big problem in this movie is, like, what is this power? Like, is yeah, it an illusion or, like, are they changing things into other things? Also, I'm not Mac sure. never has the power of illusion. And by the very nature of his conflict with Kane, I don't think he's respecting the power of illusion. <laughs> so Mac didn't learn his lesson. No. From Nakano. he beats the power of illusion. He beats it. 
Yeah. So by res- uh, is that respect? I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. The wooden sword turns into his sword, though. Right. So was he fighting with his sword the whole time? But also, like, symbolically, it's like, I think when the hero gets his weapon, it's like, you're ready. Yeah. And I'm like, is Mac ready? Question mark? Well, then after this, he starts, like, before this, we saw him doing badly in his training. Now we start to see him... Do see, well in his training. I yeah. guess. Is he really that? Like, that's a big question I have I don't know, about he this plays entire ninja in a second right. and crushes well, it. But yeah, but like, I don't think we really see a transformation of Mac. Like, unlike, I don't. Also, the unlike, sequence is two minutes long. So, unlike the first movie's montage, which also I think is like a, a fantastic training montage. Yeah, like not we so see Mac learn things. Like, it's not just the training. There's like philosophy thrown in there. Mm. Like, Mac learns about the rules of the game. Well, uh, also, they're not just in like a cave. <laughs> Yeah, it's visually interesting. Yeah, they're not yeah. in the same. They're not in the space the size of this room. But I'm not right. sure what Max arc is here, other than like you said, like respecting illusion. And I don't know how that even translates to like when he plays Fruit Ninja to be like, oh, spin around and the guy's over here now. That has nothing. That's like that weird Jedi thing has what, nothing to yeah. do with illusion. Waste yeah. all so this what, food. What is about to happen? <laughs> Waste all this food. Okay, like, yeah, yeah. Nakano then proceeds to throw fruit at a blindfolded Connor mm-hmm. who slices them out of the air and also this is funny because i want to say uh there's an entertainment tonight spot on highlander 3 and we'll post this clip on facebook lambert talks about how like sharp swords are and of course his sword wasn't that sharp filming but also like since he has like that myopia with his eye it was very hard for him to cut things in half so they had to like pre-cut the fruit in half (laughs) and so it would like fly apart when his sword hit it which i thought was pretty good that's awesome that is funny and then nakano puts the piece of fruit on his head on like a little i don't know circle circle thing (laughs) and then he's trying to be sneaky sneaks around him behind him but then connor realizes he's there and cuts it here's the part i don't like about that scene it's like even though connor's blindfolded Nakano is so close to him yeah, that he would just sense that he was moving. Right. Just well, no, you got to use the power of illusion yeah. to conceal your... <laughs> like, if Nakano teleported behind Connor, I thought that would have been cooler. That's just me. Not cool, but cooler. Cooler. Because sure. yeah. this was not cool. This, no, this was cool. I just thought it would have been cooler <laughs> yeah, if he right. teleported behind. <laughs> but yeah, Connor gets the, gets the fruit. Are these melons? They look like pomelos to me, oh, which look. is like a... Yeah. It's just like a, a pimelo. It's like a very big grapefruit, oh. uh, except like the pith on it is like an the inch what? thick. A pith? Yeah, what's a pith? Uh, that's like not the zest would be the you know the orange skin. part, the, the the very outer layer layer that contains the essential oils. Uh, but the the white part is the pith, the, the bitter, pin. the shitty part, the shitty part. Yeah, the part exactly. that no one wants. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like a gra- a very big grapefruit. Huh. Um, but yeah, then Nakano says, "Well done, Highlander. The sword wields the spirit of its master." And I'm like, "Again, all right, like whatever." <laughs> like, yeah, you've seen a lot of growth of spirit in Mac. Yeah, like I just, I don't know what the story is. Anything. Like, they needed to give him some deficiency. Yeah, and I don't see it, and we never see him really grow, and that's a problem. Also, this entire thing just posits a version or a, a philosophy or an approach from a cloud that i have no reason prior to this to think he would possess and for which he doesn't like, really exemplify in the rest of this no movie. he doesn't yeah, seem like, rump- like a meditative dude or yeah fucking rumpled white tennis shoed mac that you see in highlander one you think he's like meditating or doing any of this shit like do you think he's like ah uh, i must strain my spirit so my sword will follow yeah is, this, is there any reason to think that that's who that guy is no here's a key theory one theory i've kind of wondered is this was all taking place during the production of highlander season three 
And we just wrapped our coverage of that season, and we think that's obviously the strongest season to date, and the show really comes into its own. Part of me is curious, like, Bill Panzer is the person kind of responsible for, well, Highlander 2, The Quickening, which is a vastly different, you know, take on the story. Then we have Highlander 3, which taps into this, like, magical thing. And then we get, like, Highlander the Source, which is, again, like, maybe strange directions for the show. And Bill Panzer does seem to be the driving force behind those changes like he he definitely maybe viewed highlander differently than a lot of other people did like he was more into this fantastical magical element and i'm kind of curious if he was making this movie and entrenched overseas and in montreal dealing with this movie is one of the reasons highlander season three so good is he was a little hands-off and he was able to like develop from their the, the writing staff was able to really sing and do their own thing because maybe bill panzer didn't have much to do with it Hmm. nothing against him really like but they, they definitely i think there's there's different visions especially considering that these things come out concurrently highlander yeah. 3 presents a completely different vision of highlander than what highlander the series proposes or i just thought of this now while you're talking maybe it's the opposite in fact because who is into all of the japanese martial arts meditative stuff duncan mcleod was this an effort to inject something that oh. was perceived as working about the Highlander show into the movie universe. I would say no. And we'll get to this later. Cause I think there's other differences between this and what's going on in the television universe that I'm kind of puzzled why they're so different. But we will say that Bill Panzer is the story person for this movie. Correct. Right. So it's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a, a thought I had because they're, they're so vastly different guys. Did you know the sword can be the gate to heaven or hell? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Until this movie. Until this movie. Hey, well, do you think that wine was going to come back? No. It sort of does, a little bit, kind of. We'll talk later. After this fruit ninja scene... Fruit ninja. Nakano <laughs> takes the sword and he puts it to his own neck and he tells Connor, he's like, take my head and you'll get like all my knowledge and magic. And once again, we had a discussion in the episode Mortal Sins about how the writers and the executive producers, like the Abramowitz, were like, when a quickening happens, like you do not transfer that sort of knowledge like because yeah. the director who was mario mario as a parody i don't remember wanted to yeah. do something where like the quickening gave mac all these flashbacks to like world war ii oh, and all this nazi, nazi stuff flashbacks. and they were like no that it does not work like that definitively and highlander 3 seems to be saying no it does work like that again like this discord between the two mythologies and you power up you definitively also power yeah. up when you right. take a head in a palpable way. And that's spoiler why Kane wants Nakano, because he wants his magical powers. And he'll get them any way he can. Uh, so then at this point, Nakano lunges at Mac, and Mac does the special move, which just r is ripping the sword out of your hands. taking a sword. Gimme, gimme. And so I guess at this point now, we're like, oh, I guess Mac has learned everything. Because he even knows the special move with the... The video filter. Yeah, well, like, he mastered the video filter, and but, like, the real hard part they had to practice is that triple take that they do, yeah. where, like, they show him grab it three times. <laughs> right. That's hard. That that's takes, the hard part, when you distort time. Yeah, that part, that's, well, that's the power of illusion. Yeah. And through all this, we're getting some intercuts of Kane riding closer and closer, and I guess eventually we see, like, the mountain in the distance. Mm -hmm. So, Kane's arriving. Somehow. How he found it. How? I don't know. Considering he had to ask for directions on the road. It's not yeah. like he's just being drawn there, right? I, or maybe he found I some other know. people to tell him, which he, they didn't he's film. He's burnt six villages. Right. Yeah. <laughs> bit off nine tongues on the way. Oh, you're that village burning guy. Yeah, I'll tell you where it is. It's over there. Also, uh, at one point, Nakano teleports Mac to a desert. Oh, right. Yes. 
What is that? Well, yeah, it's like fucking Beetlejuice. They go to like yeah. the, <laughs> the sand because the, the sandworm sand pops up. <laughs> um, so yeah, is that an illusion? Do they really travel somewhere? I'm not. I'm not. I, sure. I think it's an illusion. An illusion, right? Yeah, it's a okay. power of illusion. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't know why he does it to prove a point. He's like, see, you could go to a desert. And respect this. Yeah. Respect my authority. Respect. Okay, so. He actually does talk that way the whole time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mako always also did the voice of Cartman. <laughs> hey, Rewatchers. We have got a sale going on now, and it's just for you. The Highlander collectible magnet set is available on our Etsy and Facebook pages. How much does it cost? It's only $15 for a collectible set of five awesome magnets. You're kidding me. It's less than $3 for magnet? That's right. This is cheap as fuck. Yeah, with (laughs) such cool, unique artwork. Where else can you get? Like, you can even buy a print for that much. No. Prints are more expensive. And this shit will last, I would say, a lifetime. These are high-quality, durable magnets. They are heavy-duty. And they feature... away from your phone. Don't wipe (laughs) your phone. (laughs) I tried it. I put one of these magnets on my phone. Everything was lost. <laughs> Eamon's life's work is My gone. life was ruined. My tax returns were on that thing. Wow. You do your taxes on your phone? Gone. Yep. <laughs> TurboTax does actually have a very efficient app to be discussed later. <laughs> Are they paying us for this? Yes. Hopefully one day. <laughs> Hopefully one day, but not Into this it. day. So these magnets feature the likenesses of Duncan McLeod, Amanda, Joe, Mythos. And Duncan Part 2. And Duncan Part 2. Uh, a Scott. Scott Scottish warrior, Duncan. Duncan. (laughs) Let's do it together. So So make make sure you pick your your magnet set set today. You can find them on our Facebook store or on Etsy. I can't understand you when there's only one of you talking. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, check them out. They're really awesome. And add them to your collection. Back to the show. Okay, so now we get the kind of climax of this initial flashback. Uh, so <sighs> we cut to later in the cave. There's some statues, and one of them, like, turns its head. That's creepy. And opens its this eyes like really it's a creepy. rejected Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like an odd stone Buddha so baby. I had, yeah. I had questions. That- is Nakano magical, or is the entire cave magical? Like, is this a magical place? I guess. Like, how does this work? And that's not that's, an illusion. That's an illusion on the cast on the audience. Yeah. Also, also, key theory, is that statue a security system? That's yes. what I was thinking. Yeah, really? Yeah. Okay. That's alerting Nakano that, like, shit's happening. Yes. Also. Okay, I'm so glad I like, it wasn't no. so crazy that I yeah. thought that. All right, uh, awesome. I did not think that at first, but I have a lot of questions about the buzz in uh, this. Yeah. The lack thereof. And this movie seems to kind of posit there is no buzz. I kind of that's but they say they can feel people Max says it later in the airport he's like I can feel him this is another one of these weird discords between the the series and this movie like it's so strange that and I get that they're different and that they want to leave them different which Mm. is okay but it seems strange to me that like the tv series is the perfect play box for this concept like they have 22 episodes a season to mess around with this stuff and introduce really good ideas, introduce some like kind of dud storylines, whatever. But they get to mess around and see what works. Stuff like the buzz worked. I don't understand why they didn't say, like, take some of the best stuff from the series, like the buzz, and put it in here. It seems yeah. strange to me that they don't like 
they didn't seem to learn from themselves or it's the fact that this is like a, another crazy co-finance production where everybody's got their right. hands in the cookie jar yeah. you know stuff just is like nope we're not doing that it's like well all right like you gotta make the movie gotta make our money yeah yeah very strange it money. is strange so yeah i did think that it was a weird baby stone security system yeah but i did stone. i had the same question about the buzz i was like is he getting the buzz question mark well no they're, yeah they're both asleep so it's like mm, okay and how do they get into the mountain? Like, he just points at this, like, stock footage picture <laughs> of a mountain. I guess they will ride up there. And I'm like, yeah. How do they get in? Where's the entrance? All right. So Nakano tells mm-hmm. Mac he needs it's to concealed. The, the, the mountain is protected by the power of illusion. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you got to respect it to get How many entrances is, <laughs> does Nakano's <laughs> cave have? So Nakano tells Mac he needs to leave. And he's like, you have a long journey ahead of you. And this is not like your time. You know what bugged me about this, too? Yeah. Uh, Mac does not have a sheath for his sword <laughs> in any of this. I know we've talked about it before, but I'm just like. Yeah, he never does. You're in Japan, man. Pick a sheath up. Yeah. <laughs> Get yourself a sheath for the road. Uh, so much like the first movie, Kane arrives. And does a cannonball, just yeah. like in the first movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, first he tells his two goons, he's like, they're both mine. So this is just like Kurgan saying, yeah. like, hey, like, the young one, like, leave the young one to me or whatever. Yeah. It's like, all right, fine. Also, we'll find out later that these two goons are immortal. Yeah, which mm-hmm. I did not know. At not this clear time. Yeah. at this point at all. No. Yeah, Nikano. Nikano jumps. Yeah, that's that's your favorite Mortal Kombat. Yeah, Nikano. Nikano. Did anyone? Do, I did kind of feel, find it a little confusing that there is Kane and Nakan. Like they, they, their names are kind of similar. <laughs> they are. And, and that K sound is like an important sound in the Highlander universe, and yeah. Yeah. the hero has it, which is a little weird. Yeah. Yeah, he like jumps from. Yeah, he does this crazy jump. It's like a cannonball. Yeah, he's so like, yeah. he jumps down from like a ledge down to meet Nakano. Gadoosh. So he's like, the pleasure's all mine. And then Kane like fucking slaps Nakano across the yeah, face. He bitch slaps. Him. It's uh, pretty brutal. So they obviously know each other. So, but then Kane says, Where's the Highlander? And yeah. so here's my question is in the, the previous scene where he burns the village, he asks where the mountaineer is. Mm-hmm. He does not say, where's Nakano? It's the villager that assumes he's looking for Nakano. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm like, wait a minute. Why is he here? Did he hear Mac is here? Who did he hear it from? Like, right. he's clearly not being drawn to this place or else he would just go and doesn't have to ask for fucking road directions. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't. I don't quite understand what he's doing there. It makes more sense that he's looking for Nakano, and Highland, the Highlander is just there. there. Yeah, and it said he's like, oh, I gotta catch him. Yeah, it's like, has he heard this like weird prophecy that Mac is the one to win the game, which doesn't exist, right? Like in the first movie, is Mac like really prophesized to win the game? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. No. It's just like you're a good guy. Somebody good needs to win, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is strange to me. It's not spelled out. No. And also we get some stuff that like they met each other 200 years ago. And Nikano and Kane, yeah. Yeah, and it's implied that Kane tried to kill him then and presumably lost because he's like, oh, I tried to take your magic before and it failed. So then Kane stabs Nakano. He's like, my head does not easily come off. He, he stabs McCloud. Now he's just McCloud kind of... tries oh, to... Well, McCloud... he's going to take his head. He's Mc... like, there can be only one. He's going to take nikano's head and then mac leaps from behind the waterfall screaming not a good move and then get like gets like stabbed from behind like impaled it's brutal it is brutal and there's a weird intercut of the kurgan stabbing him yes yeah which is weird to just draw this parallel to make it really clear we're seeing the same movie exactly because this parallel is it's not a parallel like that's his first step it's It's just just someone getting stabbed stabbed. it's like all right yeah i don't i don't understand the significance of this none is it just because like now that he respects the power of illusion (laughs) this is like his first death again i don't know 
Well, like you would never forget the first time you respect the power of religion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so now Kane is going to kill McLeod, and but he Nikano, raises the sword, but Nakano sweeps in and blocks the sword. Yeah. And then Nakano does this weird move, right? Well, he kicks Mac out of the way. He's like, when I tell you to leave, like, get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at which point, Nakano finally deploys. His magic, I guess. Right, because Kane's like, go after, like, guard the Highlander. Also, I just want to say, they say the word Highlander so many times in this movie. Like, it's like the catchphrase of this movie. Like, Mac is never referred to as Connor. It's like, oh, they're always calling him Highlander for everything. Get the Highlander. Oh, there's the Highlander. It's like, all right. Fine. Sure. Nakano makes himself buddies. Huey, Dewey, and Nakano. So there's, there's triple of them. Also, Nakano, he's a wuss, man. Nakano is shit. Yeah. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Nakano puts up no fight. Yeah, well, Sean he, Connery he, put up a much better fight with the Kurgan. Do you think Sean Connery's going to win that fight? He fucking slices his neck. Yeah. Yeah. But no, this he does like nothing. Like Yeah. And he's and he's like ready to die. Like in the beginning when Kane comes in, like he's just on his knees. Like he's just going to take it. It's like, "Oh, okay." Also, it's not until Mac intervenes that this becomes like a fight. Yeah. Where's the power of illusion when you need it? I know. Like, he makes these two clones, and then and, but Kane instantly sees through it. But, but every, at first, the goons are, like, dumbfounded. It's like, who? which one is it? It's like, well, there's the guy who was <laughs> in the know, middle. The one on the, yeah. yeah, it's like there was the one in the middle, and then he made one on the left and one on the right. Guess which one's the real one? The one in the middle. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's not confusing. It shouldn't be confusing. Although, when he does get stabbed, it's the one on the left or yeah. Kane's right. No, I'm, so fi- I, I'm fine with that. Okay. But he sees a, a bead of sweat. Going down the real Nakano, which I thought would come back later because that would make sense. It's like ah, the thing that defeated Nakano might defeat Kane later. Right, does not come back. Nope. Nope. There's there's no, no payoffs in this movie Mm-mm. at all. Spoiler alert. Uh, and then uh, Kane eats his sweat. Yeah, yeah. He like licks the sweat. He's like, you betrayed yourself, old man. I wish he said finger licking good. <laughs> <laughs> he just says, smell my finger. Uh, finger licking good, which is from. That's a line from the movie Constantine starring Keanu Reeves. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Also, it's not like there's a cool fight between the triple Nakanos and Kane. Yeah. There's like nothing interesting happens or comes of this. It's just like he tries making two body doubles. Kane instantly sees through it and houses him. Yeah, because Kane like fights the two and then with his other arm, he has like a dagger, I think. And he like sidestabs Nakano. I think that's how it's supposed to shake out. Yeah. But it's like, what? Well, they could have done so much cool stuff. Like, he could have turned his sword into a snake or, like, teleported them all to another location. Well, the thing that's crazy, too, is, like, I get that this is, like, a special effects scene. Like, there's three, like, and that maybe filming a sword fight with three clone things is maybe not the easiest thing to do in 1995. Also, he's, like, an old man. Right. But... Just do something else. Exactly. Just do something else. Like, you can just do this with camera tricks. It's like, just cut and show Nakano up on a ledge and then cut again and he's somewhere else. And it's like, you know what I mean? Just, like, draw this out and make it a thing. Like, have at least the illusion be part of the fight. And it's like, it's really just like a Or have there actually be a fight. Yeah. Instead of just a slaughter. Also, I just want to pause here to say they are very clearly setting up this Kurgan parallel here where, you know, obviously evil immortal kills Max Master. Right. Did any of you feel a single goddamn thing when Nakano died? No. I laughed. I laughed as well because of what we're about to discuss. Yeah, right. yeah but no, no but emotion. We spent a long time with Ramirez. We had also spent some time with Mac by then in multiple different time periods. We got that cool montage. There was learning. You felt affection between those two people. 
Because he doesn't die until like halfway through the movie, not in the first four minutes. Yeah, you cared about him. Yeah, we right. just met Nakano. All he's done is like spout some like trite fortune cookie nonsense. Yeah, that's and it. And then dies mm-hmm. unclimactically. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's not like an endearing performance, like showing. No, it's kind of cold. Actually, there's no like we're brothers moment. Mm-hmm. No, I don't even get the impression they really like each other. Yeah. I don't, I don't know because I don't get why Mac's there. I don't get how he's there. I don't get yeah. why he's there. I don't get what he's learned. Like I don't get anything about this interaction. So when he dies, it's just like it's cold. We right? learn he's afraid of snakes. Is he? I think so. Well, he was afraid of that moment when he saw a sword turn into yeah. a snake. <laughs> I, that would. I don't have a particular fear of snakes, but that would scare me. Yeah, I think I'm afraid of snakes too. I think everyone's like a kind like of Indy. afraid of snakes, but yeah. not like Indiana Jones afraid of snakes. Yeah. Just like, well, you should be afraid of snakes. Yeah, they're scary. <laughs> they will poison <laughs> you. They'll kill you. Yeah. They're dangerous. <laughs> okay, so now let's talk about Nakano's death. Oh, boy. I actually liked... This is my favorite thing Nakano does. Die? Yeah. Die. Well, because it's memorable. Yeah. This is at sure. least memorable. Wait, I, I actually really like the way Kane says there can be only one. He says it kind of goofily, but I like it. He's like, there can be... Only one. Yeah, we haven't really talked about Kane's voice. Like, oh yeah, oh, it's it's Kurgan esque, but it's like it starts out really Kurgan esque. The first thing he says is like so Kurgan, right? What's what's the difference? It's like I don't want to say it's like sexier, but there's like there's like no sexier. There's like yeah, there's something like sultry about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's exactly like the way you just said. There can be. Only one. Yeah, it's like like this like soap opera kind of little yeah. breathy. It's like yeah. yeah, it like it's a little tongue in cheek almost. Mm-hmm. Like you can see Mario Van Peebles is like having a lot of fun with his performance. I actually think he's good. Like I think he's pretty good as yeah. this character. It's just that it's a Kurgan clone, so it's right. a bummer. But I think the performance he delivers is like cheesy and ridiculous and like you know and he's like he's having fun so i'm having fun yeah yeah i see it i like, i'm not like i like 90 percent like his performance yeah. also i teased how much i loved his costume does anyone focus on his breastplate he's got nipple rings on the outside of his yeah he's got nipple oh, rings on the breastplate and spoiler alert, later yeah. we will find out that he also has nipple <laughs> Under, rings nipple underneath rings. of them and he's like yo i gotta i gotta go as the cane man i why gotta I, have my breastplate why do i even get these if i'm gonna just cover, just them, cover up, them up put them on the yeah. outside <laughs> <laughs> like it's like well oh, you should have every shirt also have nipple rings <laughs> uh so that's amazing yeah uh, Okay, so, so what happens to Nakano's head? So Kane says there can be only one. Can be only he one. takes his fucking head, and all the head chopping in this movie, like, heads fucking, like, they're on springs. They pop right <laughs> off. They're like, boop, boop. It goes flying. Uh, then there's all this, like, kind of cheesy electrical sounds. I don't know. I thought it was, it was like... When I say, I, like, 90% like Mario Van Peebles' performance, his quickening acting is not very good. Not sort of that 90? Yeah. <laughs> like 10%. It just, I don't know. Looks cheesy to me. Interesting. So then the severed then, head says... Yes, only one, but it will not be you. And then he starts laughing, laughing maniacally. Yeah. This and also, it's a bloody it's like a, severed head. There's yeah. like guts it's coming out the bottom of his neck. I like that. I like that a lot. It's nuts. Not, yeah. well, I liked it in that, again, it's memorable. Yeah. Boy, is that silly. I mean, I laughed. It yeah. Was, I had fun with it. But this is, again, like a, a thing that's so different than the first movie. Like, the first movie to me feels so grounded in reality. What's gritty and grimy. Yeah. The first movie never would have featured something like a talking head. Like, this is so cartoonish right. uh, and kind of goofy. I don't know. It just does not feel like the, the, the tone of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Or again, even the tone of the series does not feature stuff like this. And also, I actually don't like the heads 
them showing the heads. I think no matter how you do it, and I'm kind of curious. It's always going to look a little cheesy. It's always going to look kind of cheesy, and like yeah. I would, I think the way the series does it is perfectly fine. Sure. And I think it's actually more effective. And I'm kind of curious to see what the reboot does. Uh, if it's going to be like graphic and show heads popping off, I don't think it's necessary. No, it's better in the show. Yeah, frankly. And it's it's funny because I'm also fine with it being like a bloody mess. Like I'm not upset by the gore of it. I'm just yeah. kind of. I think it just looks goofy. Yeah, it's weird. It's all super weird. Looks well, like you can tell it's fake. I yeah. Mean, something about the talking head I like. Maybe just because <laughs> he's supposed to be a sorcerer or something. And it's yeah, just like kind of kind of nutty. A second question about that is. Is the quickening what brings down the mountain, or does Nakano, because his head's still, like, alive, question mark, does Nakano use magic in that moment to collapse the cave? Yes, that's my theory. Yeah. Or at least that he knew it was going to happen. Mm. Like, he is either involved or has foreknowledge that this will be the result, and that's why he's so tickled by the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I don't like this quickening that much. Mm. I mean, it's a lot of computery, I'm assuming it's computer animation of, like, maybe weird tendrils lightning it's not as good as like the quickenings in, in either the the first two movies like actually that quickening in the first or the second movie where mac the first like, one with the, where mac becomes young yeah, again it's like awesome. it's awesome like the yeah. way like the the electricity like crawls around and like it's like it looks alive it looks alive yeah and then he emerges from the fireball like, that's yeah. awesome. really cool well also like it's just a testament to mulcahy in one of the special features they talk to russell mulcahy mulcahy i keep saying his name two different ways I didn't Sidwin. Sidwin. Yeah. <laughs> Russell <Teardwin>. Sidwin. <laughs> this is something I didn't think about before, but Russell Mulcahy had to figure out what the quickening was going to be. Because in the script, it just says, and then the quickening happens. Right. So I'm like, wait, Russell Mulcahy is responsible. And it should be, I mean, it's obvious, but I didn't really think about it. Like, he's responsible for what the quickening is. Right. Like, the script never said it's electricity, it's explosions. Right. Like, he came up with Cars that. Cars lurch forward and ooze oil. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, he is, yeah. And I'm like... Without him, like, this Highlander 3 quickening, I'm just kind of like... There's lots of fake foam rocks falling down and stuff. It's very, like, generic. Like, they clearly just kind of filmed some stuff, blew it up, and then added electricity later. Whereas, like, especially in the the Highlander 2, like, with the fingery electricity, like, that was all planned and probably storyboarded ahead of time. It's like, we're going to pan and we're going to, like... There's going to be this can that, like, skips across. Right, like, every motion was pre-planned, and there was a vision for that. And I don't see really much of a vision for this. Like, this more feels like what they do on the TV show, which is, like, sometimes the quickenings are very choreographed. But other Mm -hmm. times it's like, well, it's in this location. Like, let's blow up that thing and blow up that thing, and then we fill it in with electricity. And it's fine. Right. But, like, in a movie like this, I think you'd do more. (laughs) Because you have the time. You presumably have the time to do more. Presumably. You should. You should. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to the fir- the end of the first chapter of this movie, which sets up the conflict with Kane and McLeod and the defeat of Nakano. And so we're about to jump into the present, but we're going to save that for our next episode. But before we close out, I think it's time to play a game. So we are going to play Watcher Tube. Special edition for the movie. That's right. So this is going to be a watcher tube. Usually I talk about comments from the episode of Highlander that we watched, and then we cover YouTube comments from other episodes. Um, this is going to be about movies that came out in 1995 and in honor of the Philippines, 1994. <laughs> and in honor of the Philippines. Okay, so we've got I wish this was swap. just Filipino movies. Yeah, just Filipino movies. We're so, going to get every single one wrong. That's right. I'm going to read you three YouTube comment clues, and you're going to have to guess what movie this is that came out in either 1994 or 1995. Are you guys ready? Round the first. Comment the first. Jackie Chan. 
Jackie Chan. Rumble in the Bronx. No. Damn. Um, I'm going to guess right now that this ends up not being a Jackie Chan movie, but I'm going to guess Rush Hour. No, but good guesses. Jackie Chan. <laughs> and that's d- d- no punctuation even. It just says Jackie Chan. <laughs> we expect them to say that and then say period because yep. that was a real final thought. Round two. Smackin'. Highlander 3, The Final Dimension? No. <laughs> that would be amazing. Smockin'. Smockin'? Smockin'. I, I don't know. I have nothing. No guesses? No. Round to three. This is in all caps. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Thank you. Jim Carrey is Stanley. Man, it, yes. <laughs> Smockin'. <that> smokin'. <laughs> smokin'. So what is Jackie Chan... I don't know. I don't know either. I have no idea. Very the third good. comment is just, Jim Carrey is Stanley Ipkiss slash The Mask. That's the <laughs> Stanley comment. Stanley Ipkiss. I have not seen that movie in a long time. Uh, hey, okay. tried to watch it. How does that hold up? Not good. No? Although, uh, this is just going to make me sound like a creep. Cameron, Cameron Diaz, Diaz is smoking hot in that movie. In that black and white dress she wears, right? That's right. That's right. I remember that scene, too. Scumbag. <laughs> uh, me, not you. Uh, okay. Round two. So Keith has one point. I miss my childhood. Sad face. I went to three. The final dimension. <laughs> no. We could guess. I miss my childhood. Rookie Sad of the year. Face. Nope. Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah. Round two. Daniel Stern. 148 communists disliked this. Wall Street? No. No, that's 89, right? Maybe. Ooh, no, on the it's Fourth no. of July? Nope. Oh, no. That's guesses. a... And I think we both said Oliver Stone, Stone movies. Oliver Stone. <laughs> I think that's why I thought of Born on the Fourth of July. Are you ready for the yeah. third clue? Normally, I would like to say that Goldeneye is the best Bond movie, but I think Die Another Day isn't that bad either. Die Another Die Day? Another Day? <laughs> nope. Goldeneye? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome for that one. God damn it. Keith gets two points. That was a tricky final clue because it mentions two James Bond movies. <laughs> But also not so tricky because it gives away the answer. <laughs> it gives away the answer. That's right. <laughs> Round three. Are you I'm ready? I'm very good at Watcher Tube. It destroys that. You consistently beat me at Watcher Tube. It's because we'll I see. know all this dumb trivia, not like I know political all this stuff. D- yeah, we don't know who our senators are. <laughs> Shih Tzu is a name for Chinese people. I'm sorry, what? Shih Tzu is a name for Chinese people. Is that true? No. I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I didn't write this. This is found <laughs> on YouTube. I, I don't know. I'm going to guess once again. I'm under three. The final dimension. <laughs> Good guess, but no. Keith, any guesses? No. Shih Tzu is a name for Chinese people. Uh, best in show. No. Round two. How do you download movies? <laughs> <laughs> wow. How do you download movies? Free Willy. No. That's a good guess. Kyle, any guesses? 101 Dalmatians? No. This is the third crew. This is this is tricky, but I'm hoping you'll you guys will get it. All righty then. Oh, uh, Ace Ventura. Uh, when Pet nature calls. Nope. Kyle got it. Oh, I went with the sequel. Pet Detective. Ooh, this is heating up. Two Jim Carrey movies on your list. This is when he was really hot. This so, is when he wrote himself a check for $10 million or whatever bullshit he did. Yeah, here's a fun fact. The Mask and Ace Ventura both came out in 1994. Wow, he was working, man. Yeah, that's nuts. And those are pretty big movies. They were huge movies. Well, at least Ace Ventura was. I don't Mask know how big a, Mask got a cartoon. Yeah, that's true. Ace Ventura does not age well, especially the end not. part. That's uh. Ebola equals monkeys confirmed. Outbreak. Nope. Oh, Kyle. Uh, Ebola equals monkeys confirmed. Twelve monkeys. Yes. Really nailed it. Yo, this is tied up. <laughs> how many rounds? Are I left? Get the, did I, There's one the more round left. What were the other clues for that? 
I heard that Brad Pitt peed into the eyes of Bruce Willis. <laughs> Wait, what? I heard that Brad Pitt peed into the eyes of Bruce Willis. And the third clue, is it weird that there's only 11 monkeys in the symbol for the movie? LOL. Interesting. And I picked that for something that happens later in the movie. Highlander 3, that is. Round five. This is for all the marbles, ladies and gentlemen. I wonder if they show this film to film students and say, see, kids, this has way over the acting and horrible I dubbing as well. Hi- Highlander 3, three. the final dimension? Oh, who said it first? I did. Kyle I said Highlander said 3. But he, he, he said Highlander. I said Highlander 3. Kyle also, said the I've, final dimension. I've said it for every single one. I think I get this one. It's true. Hmm. I'm going to say Kyle gets it. Yeah, buddy. Well, well, well. Congratulations. What were the Thanks. rest of the clues? <laughs> I wonder if he would have had sex with him as a female before he shapeshifted back to his original form. <laughs> then kill him. Killer. Kinky. <laughs> well, Kane is a kinkster. And then I thought the final battle theme was Dr. Feelgood. By Guns, Guns and Roses. Roses. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Very good. Very fun. good. Congratulations, Kyle. Thanks, And that's buddy. how you play Watch Watcher 2. That was a good one, Eamon. Thank There's, you. There were some Thank tricky you. pulls in there. The smocking, I think, is the pull from that whole thing. Smocking. So that brings us to the end of our first episode covering Highlander 3, the sorcerer, or... The magician, or the final dimension, or the who the fuck knows? The wizard, or Los Immortals Trace. Duele, or whatever the hell <laughs> Los Immortals uh, So what did we think of kind of the first chapter of this movie? Any final thoughts? It's a little it's a little rocky. It and is not just it's because a rocky they're in a start. Mountain. Yeah, no, it's actually only because they're unlike, in a unlike the Karate Kid, which is a little rocky. <laughs> oh, hey oh. Uh it's a clunky start. I like the sword stuff. Like I'm way into like the montage oh, that was cool. and like yeah. even though I think the the weird opening narration is different, I'm like, all mm. right, let's see where this goes. It's mm. if it came back, it would make it better. All this stuff. I think we would feel better about if it was interspersed throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. If this stuff was broken up and you got to see more of a journey, you got to see more of a tie to the present, it was less linear in its deployment, we might feel better about it. The way this should all be cut together is Mac should be fighting Kane a couple times and at each point have flashbacks to lessons with Mako. Nakano. And so that's Mac remembering the things that he maybe has forgotten. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I remember this illusion thing. And like, how do I battle it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he can constantly be losing. Because that's what happens in some ways in the first Highlander movie. Like, Mac has a number of run-ins with the Kerr again, doesn't he? Or at least one. Yeah. He He bumps into him in the alley. Right. And they fight with a pipe. Right. And, and the he, church thing. And they fight. Yeah. Like, there's instances where they come across each other. And mm-hmm. it's like, they can mirror that. And then have these flashbacks to Nakano. And, you know, then we get to see, like, oh, Mac did learn about illusion, and maybe he'll use these tools to fight Nakano next time. But he doesn't. Instead, we just got, like, our few minutes in Japan for reasons, and then... Can I ask another question? Sure. Which is going to be my question the whole time. Why are they in Japan? Mm. Well, we should maybe we can bring up that in the in the first draft of this, there is no Japan storyline. This is all taking place in the highlands of Scotland. Right. Which this movie eventually goes to. This movie actually spends a lot of time in the highlands of Scotland. Not a lot of time in Japan. We we don't go back. Well, in the present, we go back a number of times. We reemerge in Japan, and then we leave. That's Mm -hmm. it. Right. We go to Japan, then we exit Japan, and then we're done in Japan. I'm not averse to, like, do you not like that it goes to Japan, or is it just because it doesn't return there? It's just not important to the story. Right. Like, we have all these weird questions about, like, this weird mysticism and that he's... And this weird mountain. And he's, like, all the way across the world. And 
I don't mind the fact that he tra- had to travel. Like, I like that idea that Mac, like, searched for answers and, like, went on, like, a walkabout. Yeah. Like, I think that's okay. Especially, like, considering it's, like, catapulted by the death of Heather. It's like, well, where do I go from here? Although we just, again, we don't get to see that. Like, I would be in favor of Mac. Like, I want to see more of these Mac adventures. Like, maybe that's right. also what it could have been. It's like, maybe sometime with Mako, but, like, what about before Mako? Like, how did he learn to just be a guy? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are his adventures along the way? That would also give them an avenue to have Mako be a positive influence on him. Because he just kind of shows up at that cave, and it's not clear to me he has any deficiencies that Mako needs to fix. Show Mac struggling. Like, he actually is in pain. Maybe he's right. not, Maybe he's not headed in the right direction. Maybe he's gotten off course in some way, and... Finding Mako helps right his ship in some way and gives him direction and focus. As it stands, I have no reason to appreciate why they're spending time together or to think it's meaningful. Is it only because he needs to know how to make a new samurai sword? Later? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Which, did Nakano teach him that? Yeah, we, never, we a, never see Nakano actually teach him sword making. Well, now I'm funny. off because I'm like, what is this sword he was making? Like, he was just making it and then he, like, put it aside. Doesn't, doesn't Mac also kind of know how to make swords? Like, doesn't well, he's, he, a, he's definitely a he metal was, smith or was, something was in, the first movie. in the first movie in some yeah. way. No, no, if he knows how to make swords because of that, but... Yeah, like, he's very adept at shoeing horses, but otherwise he yeah. can't do it. I, like, I don't know. I guess he learns that. Yeah. That would be nice to just show more of that. Mm-hmm. It just had to breathe. It had to do something so it had some punch. Mm-hmm. Not a great start to this movie, but there are some fun things in it. Like, I do think that Mario Van Peebles is fundamentally fun. Yeah. I think the silly Nakano, but it won't be you! is fun like it's weird it's silly but it's like fun yeah i don't know yeah well join us next week as we dive even deeper into highlander 3 uh thanks a lot for listening and uh make sure to follow us on facebook twitter instagram and subscribe to the podcast and if you subscribe rate us because those ratings help us get in front of other avid highlander listeners or help introduce highlander to a brand new generation of fans Five stars. That's right. Five, five stars. Not four. Five. Five. That's right. So thanks again for joining us. I've been one of your rewatchers. I'm Keith. This is Kyle. This is Eamon. Bye. 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 We also did an episode of The Raven called Cloak and Dagger. Also the names of two of my favorite Marvel comic superheroes. Oh, that's right. Rene Manzor? Yep. <laughs> Rene Manzor. <laughs> I'm the Manzor. Manzor. Yeah, that is definitely like a, a robot who's come to conquer yeah, the Earth. the Manzor.